I'm Grant Berry. Welcome to the Romans 911 podcast. We're stepping into the reconnection in the one new man into John 17, love and unity is becoming a reality. Beloved, today I want to focus and introduce to you the Romans 911 webinar. There are three focuses to the Romans 911 Project media plan. The first is actually the webinar, which we're going to listen to today. The second is this podcast that we're on, Romans 911 Podcast. And then our third and final focus for the media plan is the Romans 911 Talks. And these are interviews with various messianic and gentile leaders that are moving into the reconnection message as well as to interview other leaders to enter into dialogue and discussion to really bring this message to the threshold of the church that is now our mission in these next few years that the church the greater church at large would have the opportunity not just to hear the message but also to understand and embrace the significance of the reconnection message during these days. And as we know, it's like a golden key that opens the door to the Father's end time plans, but it only comes by spiritual revelation. And indeed, it has been hidden during the church age and is really only just now coming to light in its fullness as we come into the unveiling of this mystery that Paul challenged us not to be ignorant about as we come into the fullness of the Gentiles and Israel's salvation. Our approach to the Romans 911 Project webinar is to basically have almost like a, a virtual Bible study, a format where believers can come in over Zoom from different nations and we can come together in love and unity and really begin to dialogue. And the way we've set up the webinar focus is we've worked with, for a couple of years before we even launched the media program, many different leaders and watchmen that have gone deeper already into this reconnection message. And we've invited them to be panelists with us. And so what we do is I host the uh, webinar and I have one topic that I bring to light to give a brief description. And then I open it up for the panelists to dialogue and share. And then for the other half of the webinar, we're totally open to you, the beloved, with any questions, concerns, and you can feel free to enter into dialogue with us on these issues. And I tell you, there's a very necessary part of this restoration, which requires us coming together and talking things through without any negative emotions, but in a, a positive dialogue that we can begin to really unpack and expose the way the evil one has fostered separation between us. In these days and in these next few years, I believe we're going to see the Father release a greater measure of His love through us that will enable us to melt away the obstacles and work through our differences. So we're very pleased to introduce to you several recordings over the next few weeks that we're going to be listening to from our webinar podcasts. And if you'd like to join us, we meet the first Thursday of each month. You can go onto the Romans 911 website, romans911.org, and sign up there. And when you sign up, we will send you a free copy of the Romans 911 second edition. Beloved, blessings to you and, and enjoy this podcast. Lots of love. Abinu Melkenu, our Father and our King. We've come here, Father God, because we want more revelation knowledge of your word, of your person, 
We ask for your presence. We ask for your wisdom, which you give freely when we ask it of you. Pray, Father God, for insight. Touch our hearts, Lord. Let us not just listen with our ears, Father God. Teach us how to listen with our hearts, to listen to what you have to say to the church. Help us to receive it, Lord, and to hold on to it, and to live by the things that we learned this day. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Bob. So, beloved, tonight, um, our subject on uh, page eight uh, in the Romans 911 book, um, there's a heading called Perfect Eschatology. And we're, we're not actually going to go into an in-depth discussion into our, our eschatology and our different perspectives. We will definitely get into that uh, in uh, going into the Romans 911 but there are lots of other issues that we need to address first. And as we talk eschatology, the first thing, the first point that I want to make is, is uh, the Romans 911 project doesn't look perfect as eschatological position. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the word eschatology is just, it's a fancy word for end time beliefs. Um, and um, we know in part we see in part, and when the fullness comes, I think we'll be able to look at it just like, just like we could look at scripture with the coming of the Lamb, and see every how every scripture kind of uh, just fit perfectly into place. But up until that point, it's really important for us to be. We should be passionate. We should uh, uh, be encouraged to share our opinions. But where we often have gone wrong in the church is we've kind of got into division and separation over our end time perspectives and really sort of overruled the greatest commandment that the Yeshua ever gave us, which was to, to love one another, that the world would know that we are his disciples. And so, um, um, but I will say this, um, there are so many different aspects or, or different perspectives of eschatology, it really is confusing. Amillennialism, post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, pre-wrath, preterism, partial preterism, dispensationalism, futuristic, historic, kingdom now, dual covenant theology, and all sorts of groups thinking that they are the new Israel. Honestly, beloved, it's a, it's a mess. And, and I'm not just saying this for us to come into a perfect agreement regarding our end time perspectives, but for us to recognize the separateness and the, the division that the enemy has been able to use to, to divide and separate us. But why? I think we must ask the question, why is there so much confusion? Why is there even a blindness when it comes to, to looking at Israel at the end and, and end time perspectives? And as we will discover, as we go deeper into the understanding of this project, we're never going to be able to see the end time view purely through a Gentile lens or even a Messianic lens, but really only at, through the heart of the Father as he brings his, his family together are we going to be able to see more clearly. But I think it's important for us to understand first when, when it comes to all of these different perspectives, why, why are there so many different views? Why is there so much confusion? And I want to I want, I want us to, to drill down on this tonight. So I've asked uh, um, our panelists, I've, I've prepared a couple of questions. And um, the first question goes actually to Jonathan Frizz, who's with us for the first time tonight. He's the founder of the 10 Days of Prayer Ministry. And Jonathan, as the founder and leader of 10 Days of Prayer, which focuses the body on, on taking us into a deeper place of repentance, moving into the fullness of John 17, love and unity. Give us a picture from your viewpoint and perspective 
of this kind of repentance and how actually it's going to, the Lord's going to use it to clear up many of our differing types of issues and viewpoints um, in, in the church. Yeah, thanks, Grant. Yeah, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, first of all, I think if just in the, in the natural, if we all were to read a book or read a text, especially one as complex as scripture, we'd all come away with different interpretations and different ideas. And um, I think that's that's pretty normal. Um, and so the only way that we can really, um, I think, become like-minded is through the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, which allows us to have one one mind, one heart. That's, that's what we read about in the upper room. Um, it says that the apostles were, were of, you know, continually devoting themselves to prayer in, in unity. And, um, you know, Paul all the time talks about how we are to be of one mind and one heart through the Holy Spirit. So the repentance that I think needs to happen is, first of all, just humbling ourselves before God, recognizing we have all these divisions that have entered in. Um, and, you know, taking a posture of humility, laying aside some of our opinions, um, and then really getting in touch with the Holy Spirit. Not that we won't continue to have opinions that may or may not be wrong or right, but it, it shifts our focus um, to really what is on God's heart, what's he saying, what's he doing. And so these extended times of prayer that we do, that's that's a lot of the point of it is to give God an opportunity to um to work on us and bring us to a place of humility where we're focusing on uh, what he wants us to focus on and um, not necessarily arguing about some of these things that are secondary issues or debatable, but really, um, yeah, coming into his presence, communing with his Holy Spirit. And uh, I think that's the place where we can have real unity. And that's where we um, experience, you know, genuine repentance as well. So Jonathan, you know, talk for a minute, you know, um, you're tracking with what I would say is is the remnant in the body, and and God's taking us all on a journey, restoring us, bringing us into the fullness of John 17. It, it seems also that like our end time perspectives, as we go deeper into these places in in the heart of the Lord, that that um, that we're beginning to see more clearly. Can you can you talk talk to that for a moment? Sure. Sure. I, I mean, you know, I do think, I think there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, you know, it's definitely possible for like-minded um, believers who love each other, who are of a, of a good heart to disagree on these kind of things. I was just having a conversation uh, the other day with a brother and we saw things differently, but yet we were, you know, both, it was really edifying conversation because we were both like, hey, we might be wrong <laughs> about some of these things. And also, we were just kind of like, well, the bottom line is we're, we're both just really excited uh, for Jesus to come back. And if we were wrong and he came back, that would be a win. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's one of the ways God's bringing us together on this. Um, you know, I think that element of love, like you like to emphasize, Brant, is really key. Um, where we're kind of valuing one another first, loving each other first. And then we're able to have some of these discussions. It's not um, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's not threatening the relationship. I think also when you look at things from, I, I learn a lot from, from reading people that think differently or studying people that think differently. And when you read, um, from a different perspective, um, and, and kind of a different lens, different things will pop out at you that you didn't notice before. And so I think that's another way maybe God's helping us flow together in this. Yeah. I think that's that's an interesting point. Thanks, thanks, Jonathan, for that. Let me let me move on to the second question because I think it more effectively addresses the the issue uh, and the subject for tonight. And that is uh, uh, Martin um, from uh, Martin. For those of you who don't know, uh, Martin Borman is the prayer mobilizer for PRMI. That's the Presbyterian Reform Ministry International. A really wonderful. Uh, um, uh, charismatic part of the Presbyterian Church, and they have some of the most incredible teachings on the gift of the Holy Spirit called the Dunamis Project. But they are also really leading the church when it comes to 
moving in strategic prayer. So, Martin, you know, can you explain to us, you know, give give us your thoughts of how this blindness and confusion has come upon the church be, uh, regarding its eschatology? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Grant. Um, it's a it's a really interesting question, uh, a challenging one. But to, sort of to broadly look at things, you know, the church in that 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 the early church was was in so many ways unstoppable. Um, you had these Jewish believers, you had the Gentile believers brought in, and and they transformed the world. Um, they took on the Roman Empire and 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 won. Um, and faced with that kind of uh, strength and unity and love that was present there, the enemy uh, was extremely nervous. Um, and and there's a we see in Scripture that whenever the the Holy Spirit's poured out, really whenever Jesus shows up in a situation, uh, the religious leaders get all riled up and and demonic spirits begin to manifest. And you see that throughout the Gospels. You see it in the in the uh, course of Paul's. Um, uh, experience in the book of Acts. And I think that's really what, what happened here. The enemy came in and the, the enemy is one that's constantly looking to replace. That's what he wants to do. He wants to replace himself. He wants to replace God with himself. That's what we, we see in, in Isaiah. And, and we see that there's this, this way in which, um, he builds strongholds. He, he capitalizes on wounding in people's hearts to sow misinformation to sow um a deception in there uh, and that deception based on kind of um rejection instead of love pride instead of humility uh, and really coming through with this kind of idea of you've replaced israel um and that foundational deception as as it takes root it it grows it begins to to form what we would say is a stronghold a, a mindset that is strengthened and has been strengthened over time and over a long time and from generation to generation to generation it, it's been established there and it's just created division um within the body and separated us uh and that's what the enemy wants to do because he doesn't want us unified he doesn't want us to gather so he's continuing to uh to push that and of course because the churches believe that and stepped into the sin and really pulling away from what God has said that we need to love Israel as as it says in Romans 11 that um that then there are consequences for that and that some of those consequences are just increased blindness so there's there's the consequences of our sin i think there's there's also the the enemy at work to hide what he's doing so we can't we can't see it and and we see time and time again just this, this clouding, this covering, this inability to see until the Lord reveals it to us. And that's, uh, that thankfully is uh, the good news is that the, the gospel and as we read scripture and allow the Holy Spirit really to speak into our hearts, he'll begin to show us those divisions and begin to break down these strongholds and give us his heart and his love uh, for Israel and, and begin what we're in this process of reconnection. So let's let's focus a little bit. Try and drill down on this a little bit, because you you, you know you sure said that with the measure we use, it's it's measured unto us. And so if if the church was given edicts to love Israel and to draw them to jealousy, not to be arrogant, and to release the mercy, and it moved in the opposite direction, as you mentioned, Martin, you know it has received a measure of 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 blindness you know and and what i believe and what i believe the lord has revealed to us through the romans 911 project is this is part of the some of the residual curses that are on the the church family because it 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 has moved in 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 disobedience to the, to edicts that it was given from the Lord. And as you say that there are consequences, but I don't think a lot of us understand this blindness. And you know when, you know as a Jew coming into the church um, and and trying to to lay hold of the different perspectives, the different end time views, it it's like I mean. You know, I, I already mentioned most of them. I 
mean, it, it, it's like it, it takes a, a, a number of minutes even just to list all of them. So just, just talk to that. Let's drill down a little bit deeper in that so people can get an understanding, not, not to bring any condemnation, but for us to understand that there's something significant here that needs to be removed. If we've been disobedient and, and that, that, sin, that sin has created, uh, created a blindness, we, we can't see. Um, we can't see clearly what's, what's going on. And so um, we come up with our own interpretation. And I think that's why there are so many different eschatological views that, that are around that because because there is a blindness to see the real the, the truth and so we fill in the gap and and we're human we're sinful we just fill it in with whatever um, sounds good to us and uh, and that just creates this this further division um, and 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 even animosity between uh, believers that just prevents us then from even having good conversation and even getting into the word and allowing the Holy Spirit to really begin to show us, wait a minute, some of this is, some of this is wrong. And, um, some of it, we've, some of this stuff we've missed and we need to, the church needs to repent, um, of that. I was just about to ask you, Martin, how do we fix it? (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. How do you fix sin? You need to come, you need to confess it. You need to recognize uh, that sin is there. You need to repent of it and and ask for God's mercy and grace, which he is very willing to give to us. That's, uh, that is the good news, is that, that this is not a, uh, we're stuck in this situation. God, God's heart is, is for the reconnection. God's heart is to, to see the church awakened to the reality of, of, of who they are, of who the Jewish people are, of, of what God's purpose and plan is, and to, and to bring us back together and to bring us into this unity. That's what Jesus is praying for in John 17. And um, so it's going to, it is going to happen um, because that's God said it, it, it's going to happen. So we need to be encouraged by that. But he will. He wants it to happen, working through us. So we have a part to play in cooperating with the Lord, in 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 praying it in, in working for it, and and seeing it. And I believe we we will see it. Um, I think even in our in our generation, oh, we we're, we're already seeing it in our generation, beginning to happen. I think um, I think this is a real eye opener for us. And, and, and if I can say, you know, um, again, being a Jewish believer on the Messianic side of the family, and of course, it's been frustrating to the Messianic side of the family because it's like, church, why can't you see this? Why can't you see this? Why can't you see this? And I think the mistake that we've made on the Messianic side of the family is we're constantly trying to get the church to see the things they need to change, but we haven't recognized the obstacle. We haven't recognized the blindness and the confusion in the way. And I think what what uh, the Romans 911 project makes makes clear to us is it begins to recognize this, not not to condemn, not to point the finger, but to to bring to light. In a sense, the Father wants to bring these things to light, so we come into that confession and repentance that you spoke about, and it then gives the the Father an opportunity to heal us and cleanse us and get us ready for for the plans that he has for us. Papa Phil, you know, while we're talking about this issue, um, there's a picture here about um, the call of of Jonah. Can you talk to us about that for a moment? I grew up uh, in the, uh, totally in the Gentile church and um, really uh, came into uh, any knowledge that I had of our Jewish heritage uh, after I began uh, biblical education. Um, But frankly, it was mostly through popular movies um, like Fiddler on the Roof or something like that, that I became aware of of, um, the Jewish heritage and traditions. Um, 
Adona was called to um, go and prophesy to a Gentile city and ran the other way. And I think that the, um, the Gentile church in many ways has run the other way as well. Uh, from menace, its ministry to the Jewish church, uh, Jewish believers. Um, we, uh, over just over the last five or six years, have I become more and more aware of what God, uh, the heart that God has for uh, Jewish believers and, uh, and for the Jews in general, especially. Um, he's planted us uh, in our congregation in the midst of a Jewish neighborhood and uh, we are um, striving to be the fragrance of Jesus uh, in this place uh, and to um, uh, I, I think that Grant the only thing I would have to say was I'm hoping that the church doesn't have to be swallowed by a whale uh, <laughs> to change our mind uh, but you know, God has His ways, and uh, uh, I know that uh, uh, we will see a tremendous. Um, I really believe that we're on the on the verge of a tremendous move of God, uh, both in the Gentile churches and um, uh, bringing that to a head and uh, bringing. Um, the um, believing Jews with us, sweeping uh, everyone into the kingdom in a way that is unprecedented. That's my prayer. Amen. Just want to invite the other panelists to comment before we go back to Susan to field some questions. Any thoughts and comments, Greg? Yeah. Um, all of these are great comments. And I would say, like with Phil, we are in a um, uh, probably the most densely populated Jewish community in Connecticut. Um, your brother happens to live there, Grant. And it is a tremendous to see the opportunities that are kind of cropping up more and more. And there seems to be this supernatural kind of attraction for why many Jewish people are dialoguing with us as believers, knowing we're believers in our community, conservative synagogues and other places. And it's just like, it's like when you like somebody, you don't know necessarily why, but you just want to keep talking to them. We're seeing that. So I think this is a part of the signs of the times that we're entering into in the seasons. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's very interesting and exciting. Amen. Amen. Any other comments on, on recognizing the blindness issue here so that we can begin to more effectively deal with it. I'd like to make a, a quick comment is that um, people are bound and determined to have their own way as long as they can. Uh, I think most of us generally make a deeper commitment to our relationship with God or even with each other uh, usually after we've blown it pretty badly. <laughs> um, I think one of the interesting things about the way God designed the world was with this idea of end times. In other words, if we just keep going forever, there's no accountability, then why would we want to govern our behavior? Um, but it's very clear once we started working with God and that he had certain requirements and advice as to how we could live a better life, that then we had to decide whether or not we were going to believe that and act accordingly. Um, and in this, I uh, can't remember who was talking about this before I was talking about, was it you, Martin? Who was talking about all the different streams that we had, that we've, we've gone down? Um, and where all this denominationalism came from, and, and Grant, you were talking about it too, that we've subdivided something, probably a lot of it based upon our own confusion, yes, but I think ultimately because we want to be the masters of our own uh, fates, and so 
if we don't like the way things are going, we'll just make up our own rules. And and uh, that includes even with religion and with God, which is sort of scary when you think about where we've gone and how far we've gone gone with it. And and I I see that God not only has guidelines for us, but it's very clear that if we're not doing this together, if we are not unified in our efforts, that it holds God's, God's hand back from doing as much as he would like to do. Unity is part of his design for the release of his spirit. And so the hopeful words that I'm hearing here, for example, what Greg was just talking about, about how he, he's seen things come together. These prayers, even though one prayer here and one prayer there may not seem to do much, once that cohesiveness begins, those prayers become more effective. And we see the sense, and we're feeling the sense of acceleration now. And I think it's in direct proportion to how unified we are. Yeah, that's good. And so as we heal this Jew-Gentile thing, and also the denominational thing that happens both in the Messianic kingdom and in the Gentile kingdom, if I, that's probably not the right terminology, but just say groups, not kingdom, okay? In the Messianic groups and the Gentile groups, as we see those being healed, and we also come together, we're going to see more manifestations of the glory of God because we're doing what he's asked us to do. And he says, yeah, you do what I ask you to do. And then, yeah, I guess you're old enough to drive the car now. Here's the keys, <laughs> you know? Uh, but up until then, God in his wisdom says, you're not ready to drive the car yet, Bob. And, and so um, that excites me too, because I think what you're talking about eschatologically is that in some ways, having an idea of where we're headed gives us a sense of, of it being finite in that, yes, we know we're going to live eternally, but there's this place that we're all headed toward. And um, on the last call we were at, I, I was happy talking to this man, George Runyon, who has said that eschatologically, that really began, end times began with the resurrection of Jesus. Because at that point, it all came into focus. That's when, you know, when the laser light was all put through the magnifying glass. And it's like, this is where we're headed. And God was actually saying, you know, this is how it all works. And that bit of revelation is saying, wow, take a look at that. And so that's why the season that we're in is so exciting, because we see the culmination of, of things, how far and how long. No one's got that. But we see we have to be unified for God to finish this thing and to pull those pieces together. And our degree of unification is in direct correlation to what God's doing. And it's up to us to do our part. God, we know, will do his part. And he's shown us how to do our part. And as reluctant as we've been, the good news is, is that I think on some level, we're finally starting to get a little bit of steam in the engine, and we're really starting to chug along there and get there, and we can feel the move of the Spirit now. So. Yeah, yeah, I think that was. Uh, I really like that uh, that point about the the more we're pressing in and and moving in it. Obviously, you know, and again in in the Romans nine one one project materials, we often make this the statement that the the more we move into this love and unity, actually, the more the Father's going to reveal to us. He's almost waiting. He's waiting for you know that cohesiveness that you spoke about. Uh, and especially the prayer piece, that's encouraging, Bob. The thing I've been thinking about a lot, and you know, from the perspective of, of Jonah and the fact that um, his his viewpoint of Nineveh was not the same as the Lord's, and so it hampered his ministry in a way. And and I, my question is, you know, what happens to our ministries when? you know, we decide to, to, uh, run the other way or, or to, you know, Jonah looked at, at Nineveh and said, Oh, they're never going to repent. And, and, um, they're never going to change. And so why should I even bring this message to them when in fact, that was not, you know, God's plan and purpose, uh, 
you know, so my, my question is when bringing this message, you know, how does it throw us off? Well, I think, you know, uh, I mean, we know that Jonah did repent, but not with a full heart. And I think for sure what God is requiring from us during these days is a full heart. And, you know, again, that's the, the focus on, on the love that we need, you know, uh, Yeshua uh, getting his, his prayer answered as, as, uh, as Frizz always says, Jesus gets what he prays for. Hallelujah. Right. And, um, you know, um, it's that aspect of we'll never, uh, I think what was missing from Jonah was the, was the love for, his, for the Gentile side of the family. He was obedient, but he still, he still maintained this separateness and division. And um, we need the, the I, think, I think, Susan, this is a picture of the Father's heart, actually, the more I think about it, mm-hmm. filling us to actually overcome uh, that indifference, that, that place in his heart, to, because, you know, the Gentile part of the world was so foreign to him. And, you know, we need the Father's heart to move into this equation. I hope that helps. Yeah. And the the other thing I'll just say about that, because I kind of wrote my question and my answer at the same time, is that we're not seeing the godly potential in others that the Lord sees when we when we choose to judge um, and and be disobedient. So that that's um, that was a great answer. I have I have a couple of questions now. I'm gonna go to Janice. Why don't you go ahead and ask your question? If it sounds like one of the biggest obstacles is blindness, and one of the biggest tools is prayer, are there any like practical first steps along with our prayers um, to help start overcoming the blindness and bringing that unity, especially to people in relationships we know, people we 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 walk with and live with who just might not understand yet? Well, I I think, Janice, the first thing that's significant to us is we must recognize this. We have to recognize the blindness. And it's not, we need to go back. The Father needs to take us back to clean us up, not to to point to wrong. Uh, There's no condemnation in the heart of the Lord, but we need to recognize where we went wrong so the father can bring correction and i think this is a significant piece because we we can't overlook this piece i mean you know we were on a prayer hour um right before the webinar you know touching on this issue and it's obviously a sensitive and delicate issue and even the response amongst us watchmen was a a, um you know we, we we were we weren't running to it this is something we must recognize because we can't put the cart before the horse. And uh, so the, the key first is for us to pray for the church, to recognize the, 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 the truth that is here, that indeed the church has received a measure of Israel's blindness when it looks back at her because of her disobedience. And because of that, there are still residual curses at play that are holding the power and the glory of the Lord from pouring out upon the church. So we've got to, uh, in recognizing this, we will begin to press in more to pray for the church, to begin to understand this and to come into deeper places of repentance because the Father is waiting to pour out his mercy and to wash us clean, to make us ready. This is, you know, Revelations 19 says, you know, as we enter these days and we're in them, we're in, we're getting very close to that day. And Revelations 19 says, the bride has made herself ready. So there's this place of cleanup and process uh, that we have to recognize instead of, focusing more on the well i think that you know the fire's coming the glory you know there there are practical elements here and as we begin to recognize that 
we can then, Janice, move into greater prayer element for the church to understand this and to come into confession and repentance so that the Father can wash us and cleanse us. Does, does that help? <laughs> I think so. Um, basically, what I heard you say, and I might have it wrong, but uh, what I think I heard you say is there's we need to make sure we're recognizing it in our own lives. Yeah, in our own minds, but also to recognize that there is a major issue, a stumbling block here for the entire church. Because, you know, these things have traveled through the bloodline for for thousands of, of years. And so um, there is a washing and a cleansing that is needed, not just from us, okay, but, um, but for us to identify and stand in the gap for the rest of the church to begin to awaken and understand these things so that the Father can actually pour his mercy out on us and cleanse us. Um, So as we were just camping out here in Romans 11 and just talking about the blindness and the disobedience, you know, I was just thinking about, um, I just need to develop this idea before I ask the question to explain it and give it a little context. That's what I'm going to do. So please bear with me for a second. Um, Paul lays out this idea that, look, uh, Israel's rejection of Jesus, which is a negative thing, actually resulted in a really positive thing, riches for the Gentiles, right? Um, and so how much more is their acceptance of the Messiah, a really positive thing, going to result in something even greater and more positive, which is life from the dead for the whole earth, right? So in Paul's uh, economy here, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, God is using something really, really negative to produce positive results. And his goal, although Jew and Gentile are, as, as we already talked about, in disobedience. So everybody's, everyone is disobedient. We've established that. Uh, Israel's been blind uh, partially. And that, like to your point, Grant, you know, that partial blindness is now upon the church because the church is in disobedience in their relationship and, and admonition to, to love and connect to Israel. So here's my question. If God uses negative things to result in a greater positive, in what ways is God possibly using replacement theology to result in something that could potentially be really positive here at the end of all things as well? And I don't have an answer necessarily, although I did think about one of the things that God is doing and says he's going to do throughout certainly the prophetic scriptures is regather Israel to the land he promised to give the patriarchs. And so Aliyah, you know, some pressure and uh, anti-Semitism certainly is a provoking factor in Jewish people leaving their their land in the diaspora to return to Israel. Um, Now, that's a negative thing, the anti-Semitism, but is it resulting in a very positive thing according to God's word of, I want you back in the land I promised to give you. So that's one example that was in my mind as I was thinking about how is our very, very good God even gonna use some really, really negative things um, to result in some positive things for Jew and Gentile here as we're in this conversation. So just would love to hear some thoughts and that's where my mind was at in this conversation. Got it, I'm, I'll be the first one and I'll just encourage the a panelist to also engage in this. But let me just clarify, the measure that the church has received regarding Israel is, is a blindness when the church looks back at her. And, and that is specifically related to the end times because Israel is so involved, is at the center of end time perspective. So I just wanted to clarify that. But I, I would say my first comment would be, and then we, we can open, this is a really good question, uh, Jeb, and I really had to think about it, but I God uses all things to the good. We know that, you know, in Ezekiel 39, it says not leaving one Jew, Jewish person behind. I mean, that scripture is kind of challenging. You know, when you think there are still six million, six and a half million Jews in the United States, but we are even in touch with our ministry, with with people that are getting direction from the Lord to begin to prepare uh, safe havens for the Jewish people to leave this land and to return 
to Israel. So uh, I think definitely, yes, uh, the, the uh, anti-Semitism is being used uh, um, to fulfill a, a part of God's plan, which will uproot the Jewish people to return to the, uh, to the homeland. And we've seen this dramatically already in France. I mean, when I was a, 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 a little boy, France had the greatest Jewish population of well over 600,000. They're down to under 400,000 now. And real estate before COVID in Israel was so expensive because the, you know, the French and now the British Jews are going into Israel and buying up real estate. So we are, the Jewish population in Europe is, is really getting this message. The American Jews think, uh, you know, history repeats itself. And the American Jews, you know, are, are kind of, uh, um, you know, I think making the same mistake that the German Jews made. Because the German Jews, as they left, you know, as they, they, they were German before they were Jewish. And um, a lot of them, you know, there were messages. There were messengers that went into in Germany and, and into the Eastern Europe and told the Jewish population, you should leave. I mean, the, there were warnings that went in. But, you know, we know that, you know, most, uh, most of the German Jews did not heed to that because, you know, they were so comfortable and had come of age. And look at the Jewish population in America. They're at the top of everything, right? Um, and even as this economy, when it actually begins to tumble, who it, you know, you don't need rocket, you don't need to be a scientist to kind of figure this thing out at this point. Who do you think they're gonna blame when the economy falls? And this could be a major turning point for, you know, for the, you know, for the Antichrist perspective to come against the Jewish population and then for them no longer to be or feel secure. So to answer your question, Jed, amongst those that are not moving towards God, this spirit is is increasing and we know anti-semitism it just makes no sense as 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 you've got movements like black lives matter trying to and social justice and it just makes absolutely no sense the only the only rational explanation is that you know um the satan is 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 behind it anybody else would like to comment we have a few more minutes hey uh jed i'll i'll weigh in just a second if I could, um, you know, just as a historical example, not that um, I wouldn't put the blame for the Holocaust on the church, certainly not on the believing church, uh, primarily. Um, but we certainly saw how out of that incredible, um, you know, horrible circumstance, God used that to stimulate the birthing of a, of the nation of Israel, you know, and I think you know, you could make the argument that without that um, horrible injustice happening internationally, there wouldn't have been the will to create that state. Um, so that's just maybe just one example of how something really, really bad can be used by God to fulfill a, a purpose or a plan in his heart uh, related to Israel. I, I do think, you know, we'll, maybe that was something happening in the natural, the natural Israel being reborn, um, you know, I guess now, however many years ago, 70, 80 years ago, but, you know, I think that's kind of a precursor to the spiritual uh, rebirth that's about to happen um, and is about to, to come forth, so. Yeah, I think one thing that's really key is the knowledge of God, who he is, you know, and, what, and that we not be offended by him because there's a kindness and severity of God. And one thing I'm reminded of this, Yeshua says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, with the revelation of the Father, says, you are the Son of God, the Messiah. He goes, you're right. And then he said, but that means I will suffer, go to the cross, but also resurrect. And Peter says, no, you won't do that. You know, he rebukes the Lord. And the Lord rebukes him and said, you know, get behind me, Satan. You only have the you know, mind of man, not of God. And uh, and I feel like, uh, yeah, the Lord 
I mean, in order for there to be a resurrection, there needs to be death and the cross. And I feel like one thing that's maybe lacking in Western theology maybe is uh, the the thing of um, the cross and the suffering for Christ, but also resurrection. Um, and because, you know, he said those who are in the kingdom, they will suffer and all. And so I, I feel like that's an important element and that we have to very be uh, very aware of God's discipline versus um, the enemy's warfare. Sometimes I think when things don't happen that we like, then we think it's the war, you know, enemy, but it may actually be very God. I mean, like, for example, this what's happening with Ukraine and Russia and all, it looks horrible and all, but like God says that he will bring his people back to Israel. And there's many Jews that are coming to Israel from Ukraine that normally wouldn't happen if they were in a very comfortable state. So I just feel like it's so important that we need to know who God is and how he operates. That's it. Amen. Amen, John. We can always rely on you to bring the hard father's part to us. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, Greg, you had a thought. Yeah. Hey, um, I just wanted to put out there and proffer a theory of why the blindness in the church. And I'll focus on the churches that I'm more familiar with, which are here in Connecticut and New England. Um, I think you have different levels of the remnant. For example, we see oftentimes, and everyone I'm sure would agree, intercessors get the most exciting about the one new man. Um, and they are quick to take it up. They're quick to pray it in. They're, they're sensitive to the time and the season we're in. But pastors and senior pastors, not so much. Um, why is that? Well, maybe it's because they're not as sensitive to we're coming to the end of the age and coming into the millennial age and the age of the Gentiles has come to an end. Maybe I think there are many people who don't view it that way or don't see it as yet or maybe don't even see it dispensationally like that. But um, I think most pastors that I find and they're are caring about what's my congregation looking for. We need to pray in revival. We need to see our congregations grow. One of these days we're going to have revival in America. That's what we need to pray about. And I find that a lot of people are a little ho-hum about the one new man issue. Like, yeah, is that really relevant? We understand it. And then further, there's I think there, a lot of the Gentile church believes this, and it's arguably scriptural, right? Jesus talked about the blindness in the Jewish people would be lifted at some point, and or Paul, I should say, uh, you know, commented on how this is going to be lifted at some point, and then talks all about the theology around that. I think a lot of people believe in the Gentile church's senior pastors that until we have revival— we won't have the blindness lifted. So what's the point of caring too much about one new man right now? And let's focus on revival. Let's just have revival. Let's have awakening. And that's what we're really praying for. And sure, we will evangelize uh, Jew and Gentile alike. But the idea of, wait a minute, we're shifting seasons. Jesus is returning maybe sooner than we think. I, I find that it doesn't, register in that practicality um, priority order for a lot of pastors and leaders of churches. Right, but isn't that because they're looking in the wrong place? And isn't that because there are obstacles and blindness in the way that prevent them from seeing that? Because as we, you know, you see, look at it for a moment, Greg. The think obstacle is self-interest, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, no, I got, uh, think, think of it like this for a second. When you look at Romans 11, 25, uh, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Uh, for the, you know, Israel has come into a, a, a blindness until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, comma, and so all Israel will be saved. So with the, now the gospel principle is to the Jew first and then to the nations. But when the church has looked at that scripture, because of the influences of replacement theology, it has thought, okay, I need to take the gospel out to the nations quite rightly, because the church inherited Israel's call to be a light to the nations. And so they 
they take the gospel out to the nations, but the principle got switched so much to the point that focusing on Israel or even to the Jew first is not even on the map. And the principle of the kingdom of the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the nations, it unlocks a key. So as we realign to begin to focus on Israel's salvation and begin to call on the breath for their salvation and begin to allow ourselves to be used to release the mercy back to them, it becomes a power equation for the gospel to go to the nations. And so this is part of the understanding and the confusion that needs to get lifted from the church to help the church understand that the, the way to the revival is to the Jew first. Yeah, of which we agree. And like a person that I'm trying to describe, perhaps it'd be a, you know, a Baptist senior pastor, more of a traditional church. Um, they might look at that scripture and say, of course, it's to the Jew first. The Jewish people were the ones who got the gospel first and just leave it at that, you know, so they don't look at it in the deeper meaning that you and the Holy Spirit would reveal. Um, and then would again just be focused on, yeah, but the fullness of the Gentiles won't happen until we have revival. I got to keep praying for revival. And it, that's all I'm pointing out is that it's a blind spot because it's just like if you're stuck on praying for revival and you're not seeing what you expected, you kind of get disappointed. I feel like a lot of pastors are in wildernesses of disappointment because they were assuming or thinking, my church would grow like this. It hasn't happened. Why not? Why hasn't America had a turnaround? I think that's, that's a lot of disappointment gets in the way and can blind things because maybe we're focused on the things we want to see rather than the things that maybe the father is doing. So guys, here's, here's the strategy. The strategy is the remnant, the watchmen come into the right place, the right heart. Uh, they are unveiled, they're cleansed, they're healed. Uh, the influences are broken off. God begins to use them and mobilize them to stand in the gap for the rest of the family to come into this knowledge and revelation. Well, of course, we are going to face uh, realities that Greg's talking about and that Eric's talking about as well. Um, but we are in a new day here. We are in a new day and the Lord is unveiling a plan for this blindness and these veils to be lifted. And I would just encourage you, especially to focus on the strategy in the last part of both the Romans 911 book and also the Romans 911 study guide, because they both lead us into a place of understanding these things and to have our eyes set on the transformation that the Father's going to bring and not the obstacles in the way. And now, of course, we've got to deal with those obstacles, but, but we have to pray through them and allow the Father to bring these strongholds down. So I, I hope that helps. And this was a really interesting conversation. This is one of the deeper issues, obviously, of the Romans 911 project, but a very, very significant issue to our knowledge and, and understanding. Thank you, Grant, for that insightful discussion. To dialogue with Grant and Halley, please send comments and questions to email at romans911.org. Again, that's email at romans911.org. If you resonate with the Romans 911 Project, please pray about partnering with us to bring this reconnection message to the threshold of the church. Sign up for our monthly email Join our global virtual meetings with other believers to dialogue and pray together. And most important, read the Romans 911 book, Time to Sound the Alarm, and view the Romans 911 study guide 12 to 14 hour video teachings, which are free when you purchase the study guide. The Romans 911 books and teachings are transformational into God's end time plans to prepare the bride and reform the church. They help to create the breakthrough that will change the world. The reconnection message is like a golden key from the heart of the Father to restore love and unity in God's family that opens the door to the fulfillment of Yeshua's prayer in John 17. 
and it establishes the pathway for the body of Messiah, the body of Christ, to receive the greater glory. But this reconnection message in the one new man has been hidden during the church age in the mystery to reawaken Israel to faith and is only just now coming to light. That's why we need your help to fund this project, to bring the message forth, to help us blow the holy shofar, to awaken the greater church into this restoration. Now is the time. Would you pray to give Chai, to give life to the reconnection, to reach the church and the messianic body and help unite the family of God? To fund the Romans 911 project, we have created the Give Chai Life Campaign. Chai is a Hebrew word meaning life, but it also represents the number 18. And for just one Chai, $18 a month, you can make a difference. Please be prayerful about this. We can't do this without precious saints like yourself who are beginning to get this revelation to help us bring this message before the church. For more information on the Romans 911 project, please visit our website at Romans911.org. It's easy to remember, Romans911.org. Please also subscribe to the Romans 911 project wherever you listen to podcasts at the end.